Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. <sighs> I'll tell you what, it's been a hell of a 24 hours in sports news, but welcome in Thursday, January 11th. 2024, it's time for the Gabe Pood Show, and we have no shortage of things to talk about with uh, the coaching ranks in the NFL and college football just being absolutely diminished. We have Pete Carroll out with the Seahawks, Bill Belichick out with the Patriots, Nick Saban retiring all in a 24-hour period. We also have Tigers basketball. We have uh, Grizzlies not catching any breaks. But I am Gabe Pood, your host. On X, at G underscore Coon 71, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coons. So that would be Connor Dunning. On X, at C Dunning 929. Connor, are you, are you like me, trying to catch your breath with all this news? Yes, because God. in the last two shows I have produced, Nick Saban has retired, Bismack Biombo has been cut, Vince Williams Jr. has gotten his contract, and Marcus Smart was announced out for six weeks. All of that breaking news has happened in the last two shows I produced, which means... During this show, the next Alabama football coach will probably be hired. Okay. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Greg Byrne, their AD, says he, he told he told the team yesterday he wants it done in 72 hours. They have to turn it around quickly. But Please, please make it tomorrow. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Get it all behind us so we understand what, what the what the picture looks like going forward. But we have three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN. And yours truly going to open on uh, the Tigers, college basketball as a whole. Um, Tigers, of course, in a... Drog, nasty game um, against number 285 in the net, UTSA, the worst team in the American Athletic Conference. They go to OT. They go to OT and win 107-101. And uh, I think there's been two schools of thought. There's team keep winning, and there's team, all right, let's think about the metrics. I think we need to talk about the metrics, and we need to talk about where this team has been the last five games against inferior competition playing way too close. So we will discuss that off the top, as well as Marcus Smart being out for six weeks. Grizzlies cannot catch a break. They just can't. And, and by the way, of all the freak injuries that I've seen in the history, he's celebrating, and he dislocates his finger, tears a ligament in his finger. I, 
Come on, man. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to consistently see what has happened to this team all year. Um, but in the blitz, and uh, between the blitz and the trip around the NFL, we'll talk about Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll. I'll talk about uh, Nick Saban, who should be on the short list. Dan Lanning, I, I thought it was kind of a boss move what he put out on uh, social media today, saying he's staying in Oregon with a, with a video of him smoking a cigar and everything else. Uh, but we'll talk about that as we get into the Blitz, who is on my short list. I'll tell you, a former coach of mine is probably at the top of, uh, of my short list. As far as guests are concerned, um, Jeff Calkins per normal at 5 o'clock from the Daily Memphian and Jeff Calkins show. 6 o'clock per normal on a Thursday. Ryan Horvat from BetMGM tonight. And not per normal, we have the Cards Caravan rolling through town, stopping Memphis. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk with Tom Ackerman. That's who we're going to talk to, Cardinals Radio Network. Um, from KMOX, he's a sports director there. We'll talk to him a little bit about Saban, Mizzou, that whole type of thing. Um, but we're going to have to get into some Cardinals as well. It's never too early to start talking about the Major League Baseball season. Now, quickly, Tigers, 14-2. and I'll give them credit, they're 14-2. and And they have won a lot of games by six point or, points or less. They're now 8-1 and one in games decided by six points or less. But UTSA last night, you can't play that game. The way they did, six points or less. UTSA was 285th in net going into the night. They're the worst team they've played since Alabama State, and they'll likely be the worst team metrically they'll play the rest of the way, and they won in overtime 107 to 101. And it's very clear at this point, I I am, listen, I am on team just keep winning. I, I am there. I think things will handle themselves as long as you keep winning ballgames, but it's very damn clear that this team's playing with fire and nothing is coming easy. Not a single thing's coming easy. And my biggest concern about last night is you're at home, one, but also you shot better percentages, you rebounded better, you won the rebounding battle, you only had nine turnovers, you had under 10 turnovers, you didn't foul as much as UTSA, and still you went to OT with net 285. Like at some point you can be on team just keep winning, but you have to acknowledge that this team is not playing at the peak of their powers. They're far too talented to be doing what they're doing right now. And the problems last night, and really what has ailed them, I think, the last three to four games, they're not guarding the three-point line at a high level. They're not doing it. Now, I know UTSA put up 45 three balls last night, but they made 17. That's a great equalizer in the sport of basketball, if, you, if, you're, if you're not familiar. In my observation, Connor, I... I I talk about hero ball on the offensive end. This team has not shared the ball that well. We get all that. I thought last night was actually a little bit better. Again, they scored 107 points. But they're playing hero ball on both ends. On the defensive end, what I'm noticing, at least last night against uh, UTSA, they spent too much time pressuring the defensive rebounder, and UTSA was getting open transition threes. I think this team is playing hero ball on the defensive end just as much as they're trying to play hero ball on the offensive end. At some point, you have to get back. When the possession is over, it's over. Get back, go play defense. Lockdown. Because I know this team is capable of doing that. They're overly talented on the defensive end. They have length. They have size. They have the ability to protect the rim. But they're just, they just have not done it. And they have the ability to close out on three-point shooters. They haven't done that. Also, I think last night, free throws... They got to the line 43 times, and they made 30. Um, it's not the worst percentage we've ever seen in a, from a Memphis Tiger basketball team in a given game, but I think they need to convert every time they get there. Nick Jordan was 5 for 10 from the free throw line. You have to, you have to bump those numbers up, and it would have been a lot easier for them. Uh, another thing, Naquan Tomlin, second straight foul out. 
I still think, from a talent perspective, he's the second best player on this team. Like, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind. What he's able to do in spreading the floor and rebounding, playing defense, bringing the energy, I still think he's the second best player on this team. But he's got to play like it. And I think he's still getting used to his surroundings. It's very clear. Now, with Naquan Talmud, one, I think he'll be fine. I'm pretty confident of that. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, he still played good minutes last night at times, but the fouls were just too much. But two, and I think this is an overarching problem I'll get to in a second, this is the risk you run bringing in guys from all over the country on the fly. You bring in all these different transfers that were all at different schools and different cultures in their program, and they have to come together and they have to mesh. And that leads me to my two biggest issues. First, it is that problem meshing. These guys, largely, just visibly, they're still learning how to play with one another. And it's understandable. But we saw early in the year four top 25 wins. They were unbelievable against the Ken Palm top 50. Um, They were beating Power 5 conference opponents. They were sort of that honeymoon phase, right? They're sharing the ball. They're feeling good about themselves. But I feel like that honeymoon phase success has worn off at least a tad bit. And you definitely run the risk. It's not It's not uh, out of the realm of possibilities that this team is a little bit uncomfortable with one another as they get into these lesser games against inferior opponents. And that, again, leads me to my second biggest issue. I think that, you know, conference play outside of Florida Atlantic is largely going to be BYOE. What's BYOE? Bring your own energy. And I understand that FedEx Forum on the weekends is going to be packed out, but on a Wednesday night like we saw last night, it's probably not the most uh, impressive crowd in the world. You have to make sure that you bring your own energy, uh, bring your own intensity, and you have to take everyone seriously. And what, what strikes me about this team that makes it so frustrating, one, yes, they're talented, but they're so frustrating because they've played five straight games against bad opponents and they've played close. They, they have flirted with losses against terrible teams. Yet, I, I don't know how you feel about this out there, I, if they played a top 25 team tonight, I'd probably still pick them to win. They seem to play up and down to competition constantly, and this has really been a problem throughout the entire Penny Hardaway era. You get into these games against power opponents, and you play really hard. It's always a... a uh, massive matchup, they bring intensity, they look good. But when they play these lesser teams, it's just usually intensity is lagging behind. They, they, they wait until, they're, uh, until they've gotten hit to counterpunch. Sometimes you need to come out and punch somebody right in the face, and they have not done that. And something I was thinking about, and, and I wonder how much this plays into it, I wonder how much of a hangover they have from that out-of-conference schedule with the intensity going on the road to the Bahamas, playing you know Virginia and A&M and, 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 and Mizzou and these raucous crowds. They, I mean, their out-of-conference schedule was 21 out of 362 in college basketball. It was a very good out-of-conference schedule. Uh, they definitely managed it really well. But I wonder how much of a hangover they have from having played that schedule and managed it so well, managing it so well. Now, I don't want this to get lost because there are positives. There, and let's be honest, they don't fool yourself. There's way more good than bad with this team. If they're 14-2, and two, they're number 13 in the AP poll, they have four top 25 wins, they're the favorite to win the AAC, and even in bracketology, even the, the toughest graders, the toughest critics are calling them a four or five seed. I think I saw it today that uh, 
that uh, Joe Lenardi has them as a five seed. They drop from a four to a five, so that's, that's concerning in itself. But there's a lot more positives than negatives. I don't want people to lose sight of that. Um, and even last night, Javon Quinterly, 25-4-4. and four. He was really good, and we've seen how clutch he's been in conference play. David Jones is his 10th straight game with 15-plus, 26-11. and 11. Um, And Nick freaking Jordan. He needs love. We've talked about it, and I think he's the unsung hero of this team. Um, he, he had 18-12 to three blocks, four offensive boards last night. He was three for five from three. And I think largely, outside of those top two and Javon Quinterly, and uh, David Jones, he has been the most consistent role player outside of those top two. Um, he does everything. He's an offensive plus. Uh, he rebounds at a high level. He, he's great on defense. Uh, he's second in blocks on this team, 1.1 per game. Uh, he can switch on that end. And I think we talk about, we've talked about Malcolm Dandridge, and I still, I still stand by what, I say, what I've said about Malcolm Dandridge. Where would this team be without him? The immovable object, the five, when you thought Jordan Brown was going to be that guy. Um, but I think this team would be in a really tough spot without Nick Jordan. He is a true utility big that not a lot of teams around the country possess. And he has been impressive, and he's been in the starting lineup all year, and there's a reason he has been in the starting lineup all year. And Penny, after the game, you know, when he, when he heard that he, he was talking about this offseason, he was going after Nick Jordan. And obviously he was the first of the transfer portal guys that ended up committing and signing. You thought that, okay, maybe he was a little bit of an afterthought. Penny said as soon as he got in the transfer portal, he went and got Nick Jordan because he's so good on the floor, and we see that consistently. But ultimately, if I'm just, I'm just going out there and saying what I feel about this team, this team's far too talented to continue to struggle in games like this. It, it is that simple to me. What was interesting about last night's game, um, <clears throat> first off, I don't understand why there has to be team – keep winning and team pay attention to the metrics because they I matter. I think you can do both. Why can't we do both? It makes all – it's – I don't understand the conversation I think you happening. can lean one way or the other a little bit. I don't even think you need to. I think you can just say win your games, but the metrics matter because it changes your margin of error. It's that simple. It's that simple. You don't have to be team win or team metrics. It's kind of weird that, that there's two teams of thought there. Just take care of business, win the basketball games, but you need to win – games against UTSA handily because it does affect the metrics. It's that simple. What was interesting about last night's game, though, is that we've talked about the hero ball and the offensive end, the turnovers, stuff like that. That wasn't present last night. They played really well in the offensive end. They took care of the basketball, only had nine turnovers. They had 18 assists. They shot the ball well from three. For me, it was pretty simple what happened to this Memphis Tigers basketball team. One, I agree with your point. I think that they're probably dealing with some type of prolonged emotional hangover from having to deal with so many huge games back to back to back to back. The energy almost is created itself from that. You don't have to do it. Like you said, bring your own energy. You're not having to do that for that types of game. So I think they're probably dealing with that right now a little bit. I also think that they're dealing with the loss of their best perimeter defender and one of the yes. leaders in the locker room in Caleb, Caleb Mills. Mills. His absence is huge on this team, and it is harder to replicate him than I think we believe. Jalen Young, he, you know, he, had, he had a tough game last night, tough game. When he's not there defensively for you on the perimeter, it really hurts. Last night, they went into that game thinking they were going to kick the S out of UTSA. That's what happened. Yep. They went into that game, and they said, we are, the most, we are the most talented Memphis team. We are the number one team in this conference. UTSA is bottom feeders. We are going to be able to take care of business, no problem. And then they got punched in the mouth 
All right. And then Steph Curry showed up and hit <laughs> and he hit freaking six threes, which is crazy. Also, also a lot of open threes, though. Yeah, right? but, no, but that's what I mean. It's their problems last night weren't on the offensive end. They were on the defensive end. And usually when it's on the defensive end, it's because of energy, it's because of effort. And last night was one of the few times this season I have seen this Memphis Tigers team not put in a hundred percent effort the entire game. They locked in the last five minutes in an overtime, and that's why they won the game. Javon Quinterly really showed up. He was extremely clutched down down the stretch. But for instance, here is here's just the lapse of defense last night. It was ninety one to ninety. And they get an out-of-bounds play under yep. their basket and get an open three. How does that happen when they've already taken 45 threes? You know, Penny said in his halftime interview, we had the right game plan. They just didn't show up and have the energy. And he's right. He was right last night. They didn't have the energy. They locked in the last few minutes of the game, and that's why they were able to escape. And they were playing with fire. They are playing with fire, no doubt about it. Their talent is why they won last night. But going up against a team like Wichita State next, you can't do that. So the hope yep. is that this might have woken them up. I hope that it was a wake-up call because we can't have three straight games like this. I was hoping the last like three games, yes. the last two games yeah, before UTSA would have been a wake-up This was the classic call. trap game. The classic trap game. And they dodged the bullet. They dodged the bullet. They hit a lot of people yesterday. I know UTSA is lesser, much lesser competition than, the, than what other teams lost to, but they still avoided the upset. It's not great. You went down three spots in the metrics. It's not what you want. You're 50 right now. But if you continue to win basketball games and continue to improve, that net ranking is going to take care of itself. But you have to win games handily first. And it's just, it shouldn't be a six point game against UTSA. That should be a double digit victory no matter what. Thank God for Nick Jordan. Thank God for Javon Quinterly, David Jones, and Malcolm Dangers. They showed up when they needed them to. They escaped last night. I am happy that they won, but it's okay to say there are some issues that they need to fix. Yep. But you can also say the good news is their major issues were better last night. It was weirdly enough the defense, which hasn't been an issue this season. And then also look around the country the last two nights. It, it's brutal. Four College of the basketball top five, is chaos, man. Four of the it's top chaos. five in the AP poll have lost. Uh, two days ago, Purdue and Houston lost. Purdue lost to Nebraska 88-72. to It was Nebraska's first AP win, or win against AP number one since 1982. Zach Eady was terrible in that game. Houston lost to Iowa State, and it was a really close game. Um, and, and Houston just was really bad. They started down 14 to nothing, and they ended up making it a game, but they ended up losing by four in the end, 57-53. Um, then last night you have number three Kansas losing to unranked UCF. You have number five Tennessee losing to unranked Mississippi State. And, you know, in the end of the day, I think as you get into conference play, when you transition from out of conference to in conference, this is the part of schedule that teams fight, try to fight complacency. They try to find themselves as teams. And I still think the Tigers are there. And this is why I don't think there's any reason to lose your mind, draw conclusions about these last five games with this Tigers team. Um, just because there's a few struggles does not mean this team is not overly talented and capable of beating good teams in this country. We've seen it through the early part of this season. And also, I, it seems like, and I, again, we're going we're gonna to see this play out. It seems like they're mature enough to understand their faults. I, I heard Jaquan Walton after the game talking about Wichita State, where he's coming from, where he transferred from. He said, quote, if we uh, have a slow start in Wichita and we let that crowd get involved, it's going to be tough. Um, it ain't going to be no Tulsa crowd. It ain't going to be no small crowd, end quote. So, like, they – it seems like they have the maturity to understand what is ahead of them and what they need to get done, 
but you have to fight complacency. You are getting by with wins, and sometimes people can get complacent when they feel like they can pull it out in the end. They can make sure. That's what this team's done. They have pulled it out in the end. They have let their talent show through. They have locked in when they've needed to. But there is going to come a time in this season where even when you try to lock in, even when you try to uh, put your best foot forward late in the game, you may not be able to come through. So, again, they're playing with fire, and they're just far too talented to be playing this way. Yeah, I know Caleb Mills is out, and people will talk about him and his uh, maturity and how much he sacrificed and them missing him, great perimeter defender. I understand all that. But still, there's so much on this team outside of Caleb Mills that should lead them to be uh, beating these last three teams by a whole lot more, and especially say, on their home floor the last two the last two times out. And Jaquan Walton was very good last night. He was very good last night, hit three threes. He had five assists. He's moving the ball well. So him stepping up is going to be big time if Caleb Mills, you know, he's out for the season. It's going to be big time if he can step up and fill that role a little bit. It's just, it's no secret. They came out flat yesterday, and they got punched in the mouth by UTSA. It, it kind of stunned them for a second, and it took them until the very end of the second half when the fire was under their ass to get it together. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say that. They're still 14-2, and 3-0 and for the first time for Penny Hardaway in conference. All of those things are great. There are a lot of very good things going on for the University of Memphis basketball team. Like you said, they just have some adjustments to make. But as your point has been the last few weeks, it's much better going to the drawing board and making those adjustments after a win than it is a loss. Yes. So we got to stop pretending like but they lost last night. But you have to adjust. I know. I just People got to stop pretending like they lost last night. Yes. It's, been, it's getting ridiculous. Yes. Um, now, I will say that final possession in, uh, in uh, you know, the, the not OT in the, oh, in the, the regular part of the game. Um, that final possession for UTSA when they could have oh, held for a final, yeah. final, uh, final shot. That guy got to walk. God, home. you got to walk back to San Antonio. Thank God they got an offensive <laughs> foul. You got to walk. Thank God because he, uh, they had somebody diving to the basket wide oh, open. Yeah, if you didn't get that offensive foul call, it was over, dude. So trivia had ended and we were in Celtic, but the crowd stayed because of the of game. It got dark in there for a moment. People were starting to take order Irish car bombs. <laughs> it was, people were like, oh, man, it's going to get dark here for a moment. And they pulled it out. That Javon Quinterly, man, clutch player. Yes, I'm very, very, very happy that he is wearing a Memphis Tigers uniform. 100%. But those guys have to bring the other guys along as, as the season so, continues. I is mean, is just... Penny going to collect like the Infinity Stones guys from uh, the American teams, like P.J. Haggerty, now Ivy Curry? Come yeah. on down. Next year, we got time. Uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. He got Nick Jordan away from Temple last year after he got smacked around by him. So who knows? Who knows? Now, um, you said it got dark at Celtic last night. Grizzlies. I know they're coming off their best three games. Oh of yeah. The year. It's dark. yeah. It's dark though. Um, in, in the news today, and, and honestly, I thought yesterday was a it was a pretty positive day. In, it in, was in Grizzly circles. Uh, Bismack Biombo. We gave him credit for what he was able Thank to you for accomplish. Your he gets released, and Vince Williams gets converted. And by the way, I haven't gotten to discuss this. Three years, $7.9 million guaranteed with a fourth-year team option is a ski mask contract. That is literally, it's stealing. Feels like it's stealing at this moment. We'll see how it ages. Um, but I thought it was a positive day yesterday. Today, not so much. <laughs> we learned that Mark is smart. It wasn't just a dislocated finger. He sustained severe a severe right ring finger injury and will be sidelined for approximately six weeks. And they say he has, this is the Memphis Grizzlies medical update, diagnosed with a rupture of the proximal interphalangeal joint central slip, which he sustained while celebrating 
Um, was it three, during? I thought it happened before. Ball. I thought he noticed it during the celebration. Well, I don't know. I think man. it happened prior. I and don't I think know. He I shot think it, it I think and then because he didn't hit himself. No, I, he was celebrating, sort of waving his fingers, and it popped so out. So basically, you're saying that Marcus Smart was shooting so well, his finger just exploded. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's basically where we're at. And he's had some very weird injuries Though so far this it's year. It's been the oddest injury season yes. I've ever seen. Like the the splinter, the splinter for a long time. Now this one. But it, it just continues to show the Grizzlies are not going to catch a break this year. No. Are they paying well, for their sins of last year? Have. Probably so. Um, the basketball gods are not on their side at this particular moment. But not having Marcus Smart, not having John Morant. Uh, I mean, when we look at available bodies, it's just going to get thinner and thinner. Um, and I can't imagine Jaron and Dez will play every single game. But uh, for the next six weeks... Grizzlies available players will be Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Luke Kennard, Vince Williams, Santi, Zaire Williams, John Conchar, Xavier Tillman, David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, Jacob Gilliard, and G.G. Jackson. At this point, again, I don't think there's, especially with Marcus Smart going out for six weeks, no wrong answers. Throw everybody out there, see what you got. Let's get it. Let's see if G.G. can play some minutes. I'm excited about him. Uh, Again, Jake LaRavia, those shameless minutes are going to continue to come. Uh, Derek Rose is week to week, so he may return here relatively soon. We'll see. But it's just, it is just a season from hell. I, I don't think. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I think we have to hide that. Throw the youngins into the fire and see who survives. <laughs> who, do you, who, do you, who do you think will survive out of that? Do you think GG? Roddy. Roddy? You think Roddy? Yeah, I mean, if I had and to Vince put Williams money on Jr., it. we we feel pretty confident about. Oh, him. Vince is he's he's already in. He's an I, NBA. I am very guy. curious about Gigi Jackson. Still very young. Oh, I'm not including still him. a year when away. I'm saying that, I'm, when I'm saying who survives, I'm talking about Laravia, Roddy, and Z. It's because one of them has to. This is the biggest opportunity that they're going to have. They, the, their 25 game audition at the beginning of the season just got extended yeah, and, to a and full Rod, season. Roddy, Roddy already has. Sure, I'm has just saying he could really establish himself. Z's going to be the interesting one because he's played so well the last few weeks. Like can the you, last, but, like he, week but and it's and always half. been consistent. That's what him. it is. Can he put together some consistent play now? Because it's great for two reasons. One, maybe he turns into something. Two, trade value. Yes, that's what you need to do. But you I'm excited these to guys see out there to see I, with it. I'm excited. See if they can good. Put good film out there. See if you can work a, work a trade at the trade deadline with some of these guys. Again, I don't think they're going to get a massive return, um, but maybe there's some, some consolidation. I think that uh, Bobby Marks mentioned with the Marcus Smart um, injury, there could be some type of hardship They'll uh, get another exception roster spot. that they get. Yep. They may get another roster spot where they're going to have to get rid of it. It's similar to what we saw with Jalen Noel. So, I don't know. But they're, they'll prob- there's an open two-way spot, so there's going to be some roster moves made here in the next few days, coming weeks, and uh, we'll keep you updated on them. But, golly, Marcus Smart out for another six weeks from a just 
bizarre, bizarre situation. But I'm telling you, I think he was waving his hand after knocking down a three, and it popped out of place. Think like, that's happened. what happened. I think it happened before. Uh, maybe. Be, what force was I, he waving that hand with? I don't know. A thousand gods? He's like, an intense guy. He is intense. Yeah. He is intense. Who knows? Um, but we have to go ahead and transition. Um, and uh, the Cards caravan is making a stop in Memphis. So if you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I suggest that you tune in. After the break, because Tom Ackerman from the Cardinals Radio Network will join plenty to come next, right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. It's an STL takeover right here on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Joining me now is Tom Ackerman at Ackerman 1120, uh, sports director at KMOX, also from the Cardinals Radio Network. Um, reason he's coming on, we have the Cardinals Caravan coming into town uh, tomorrow and then through the weekend. Uh, tomorrow will be um, at AutoZone Park. And then Saturday, there will be two events in Jonesboro, uh, one in Jonesboro, one in Dyersburg. Uh, Jonesboro will be Embassy Suites at noon, and then Dyer County High School for Dyersburg at 5 p.m. Tom Ackerman will be there. We'll have there'll be current players, Mason Wynn, Zach Thompson, some alumni, Kyle McClellan, Kerry Robinson. But Tom, appreciate you hopping on. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be on with you. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned all three. I wonder if anyone will try to pull off the trifecta and hit all three. Friday and then two on Saturday might happen. You never know. You're you're going to be. I mean, you 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 have to do it. Well, Somebody else has to do it, right? <laughs> I will, and the guys will. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be fun. You know, I've done this trip before a couple times actually. Um, Memphis and Jonesboro, Dyersburg, and always good crowds. You know, and and we end up at that uh, great high school there in Dyersburg, and and it's a great way to cap off the weekend. Jonesboro does really well. Um, they always have big crowds. It's just always a treat for me to go back to Memphis. I've been going to Memphis since I was a little kid. It's kind of part of our family. We've always had friends and, and uh, great people that we visit there. It's just always fun to get back down there. So I'm looking forward to it. We're out of here tomorrow morning. I mean, we're our bus leaves around 7, and we're going to roll into town and spend the day and visit with everyone down in Memphis. Now, there's no Emo's Pizza or um, or The Hill here. So uh, do you have any food spots you stop in oh, uh, while, while you're in Memphis? So Rendezvous, get, uh, something like that? I'll get myself in trouble if I start naming my favorite barbecue restaurants, but I'm going to rattle off a few. So Central, yep. uh, definitely. Rondé, I'm not going to hit all these because I'll be, I'll be 300 pounds by the time I walk out. But Central, Rendezvous, uh, Cozy Corner. Oh, um, Good choice. Yeah. There, I mean, it, it's hard to go wrong. So my family history actually is that my dad, um, when I was a kid, and he and his friends started a barbecue restaurant in St. Louis. And they got their uh, meat from Memphis. They got their um, ideas from Memphis, and they called the restaurant Memphis Best Barbecue. And they actually grew it to about... Four. We had four of them going at one time. When I was a teenager, I worked there. This is like early 90s. And uh, it was, you know, so I grew up as a barbecue cook. I learned about barbecue. We spent a lot of time in Memphis. How about that for research? We would just bounce around all the barbecue spots in Memphis. Pretty awesome. Yep. Now, um, 
I don't know if you remember, but we we talked a few times when I was over at my old spot at, at, at yeah. Sports Fifty Six alongside Stats. So uh, I'm a, I'm a Lafayette alum. If you'll remember, where where where, where are you? Where did where did you go to high school? We this know the is same. The S- that, like you said, this is the STL takeover. Uh, I went to Country Day now MICDS. My wife went to Lafayette. Not really. Uh, yeah, my wife Angie went to Lafayette. Class of '89. She likes to brag that Lafayette is where all the athletes went. You know, yeah. David Freeze, Ryan Howard. Like that, my school isn't good at sports or anything like that. But um, yeah, she she'll be happy to know that we talked then. Yeah, um, baseball athletes. I think yeah. for the most part, basketball <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe lagging a little bit high. I was one of the only football D one commits that ever really came out. So. There, there is that. I don't. I don't. I don't think she needs to brag that Lafayette is the athletic capital of West County or of St. Louis. I don't. I don't Lancers think that's the case. Tough. Lancers are always good, but they do have a great baseball history, no doubt. And you know, Freeze just one of the great, great guys. I mean, really one of my favorite people. He will be in town in St. Louis. He's not coming with me to Memphis, but he'll be in St. Louis for the winter warm up. We have all kinds of stuff going on. The guys uh, are the alums and the. Current players are all rolling into town as we speak, and they're getting all settled in downtown, and then they'll start heading out on the caravans, or in the case of Saturday morning, they'll start to visit with fans downtown. Pretty cool. There's a lot going on with this team this weekend. Now, um, we'll get into Cardinals here in a second. I have a bunch of questions for you. Obviously, my hometown team, who I root on, but... um, what did you think about the Nick Saban news yesterday? We had a hell of a 24 hours in college football, NFL, Pete Carroll stepping away, Bill Belichick going away, but Saban retiring just eclipsed the sun. What did you think about that news? Drew? Yeah, it was big. It was big time. I, I was not totally surprised because I did, you know, at the end of the year wonder, and I heard there was a little bit of chatter on some of the national television shows and some of the SEC-based shows that maybe he will think about it, you know, and – I always just assumed he would come back, but I did catch a clip of his interview with Reese Davis, which yep. is going to air on SportsCenter um, here in a little bit, and I totally get his reasoning. You know, he said, I just, you know, I'm older, <laughs> and and I can't do things like I used to do, like I really want to do them, and this year took a lot out of me. Not that he didn't enjoy it. He really enjoyed coaching those guys, but that this year took a lot out of me, and he spent a lot of time on the defense and, you know, he used to stay up till two in the morning and get up at six and get after it. And that's harder and harder to do as you get older. I kind of, I'm not 72, I'm 48, but I do get that. Like I'm, I'm not the 28 year old Tom Ackerman who used to burn the midnight oil. And then I'd roll out of bed and just get after him. I do need to be careful here and watch my Major eight hours. This guy's 70. Yeah. I don't get eight hours. I wish I did, but this guy's 72 and he's the best coach to ever do it. Yep. And and that's the reason is that he demands excellence, not only out of his players, but out of himself. You know, he always says you can be one of five things. You can be bad. You can be average. You can be good. You can be great or you can be elite. And if you want to be excellent or elite, uh, you have to be great in everything that you do at all times. And that's how his players played. Yep. You know, Nick uh, is just so good at what he does. He'll go on and do something. He's not going to sit around. He'll either try to be the best golfer he possibly can, uh, the best, uh, you know, husband, obviously, to Terry that he possibly can be. But I think he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, if he wanted to be on TV, he wants to run for president, whatever he wants to do is fine with me. And then Belichick this morning, you know, here is, again, one of the greats to ever do it. So it's, it's pretty big stuff when you see two eras like that 
come to an end. Um, for Belichick, who knows? I mean, he may pop up somewhere else, but no, it was it was big time stuff for sure. Seeing those two. Uh, at least call it for now. And a huge void left behind. And for Nick Saban, I think also, you know, on top of him just saying he's getting older and he can't manage, you know, his time the way he used to, I think it's harder to manage your time in college football. Like the, the recruiting calendar uh, with the early signing day and then transfer portal, then roster attention. It is j- an NIL. It's just yeah. a lot. It's just so yeah, much. Deion Sanders hinted at that, and so did he didn't really hint at it. His wife kind of hinted at it, I thought, in some of the – the statements that she that you know that made that she made about you know how he still does things a certain way, but you know the game has changed a little bit and a lot actually, and that probably does wear on you a little bit. All the other factors that come into play, but what a career! I mean, my gosh, you look back, and I am fortunate that I was able to see him coach in person. I went to a number of uh, Alabama's games over the years, and. You know, what a treat to be able to see those teams play at a really high level, some great, great games. And, um, you know, it's fascinating now to see who ends up getting that job because, number one, it's a great job. But, number two, it's almost an impossible job because how do you fill Nick Saban's shoes and how do you please Alabama fans ever? Yeah. I mean, they expect to go undefeated and win a national championship. So it's a, it's somebody who will be able to handle – the fishbowl. It's not for everybody. You could be the best football coach uh, in the country, but if you don't know how to handle that fan base, it might not be for you. It's only for a, a select group of people, I think. Talking with Tom Ackerman, uh, sports director at KMOX, also from the Cardinals Radio Network. He will be in town for the Cards Caravan over the weekend. Tomorrow uh, will be at AutoZone Park. Now getting into the Cardinals, 71-91 and 91 a year ago, first losing season since I believe 07. I, I, I'm going to put it simply, ask it simply, what went wrong? I think a lot of things, I think it clearly starts with the starting rotation that they've tried to bolster this offseason. But in your opinion, what went wrong? I think just about everything went wrong, and I think it unraveled, and it began with the starting rotation, and it just snowballed from there, really. I mean, the Cardinals basically took a gamble that they would have a rotation that would be able to stay together and stay healthy, and that Adam Wainwright and company would be able to do that, and it didn't work. You know, Wainwright gets hurt in the World Baseball Classic. Michaelis hardly pitches in the World Baseball Classic. He's not ready. Uh, Matt's is hurt. I mean, on and on it goes, and it just starts to fall apart. And when they can't pitch innings, you know what happens there. You're taxing your bullpen. Well, then the bullpen starts to falter, and they're blowing saves. And then the offense, which actually was really good, starts to press because they think they've got to score seven runs a game to win, and they're doing things out of their comfort zone and even the defense wasn't the same and part of that is due to that pressure that I was just talking about but also the fact that you know they had a lot of ground ball pitchers and without mm-hmm. the shift if MLB is policing the shift you can't do what you used to do uh, take some ground balls away they're going to sneak through now and if they're not getting punch outs you've got a problem. So it all stems from the rotation, and it just fell apart. I mean, let's be honest, by the time the 4th of July rolled around, we knew the season was basically over. Yep. I mean, they had to start to prepare for who are you going to trade at the deadline at the end of the month, et cetera. So it was a tough go without a doubt. I, I don't see that happening again. I mean, I think that they've done enough 
to at least be more competitive from a starting rotation standpoint. I know that people want more sizzle, and I totally get that. I mean, this is professional sports. You want to hang banners. You want to, in any sport, you want to wave world championship flags if you're the Cardinals. But it doesn't always work to just print money and buy everybody. I mean, the Mets and Padres and everybody else showed you that that doesn't always work. So they did what they had to do. They piled up the innings. They got a veteran rotation. But, you know, you're just if you're a Cardinals fan, you're going to have to put your faith in that the younger players are going to take a step forward and grow, that everybody's going to stay healthy. Health is the number one thing in baseball. And that some of your players that have a little extra that they want to show, Arenado, Goldschmidt, anybody else who feels like they have a little more to give, has a great year all at the same time. And if that happens, Cardinals are going to be pretty tough to beat. I think right now, they have to be considered, if not the favorite, one of them in the National League Central. Yeah, no question about it. Now, what do you think about the remade rotation? Bunch of signings, Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson, a reunion with Lance Lynn. How, how do you feel about those signings? Um, I like the rotation. I, I think Gray is a top 15 pitcher in all of baseball. I really feel that. I, I think he's as reliable a pitcher as you can find, and they got really good value from him. He costs a lot, but they got it, and... I think he's going to be a very good number one. And by the way, you know, if you're in postseason contention at the deadline, who's to say they don't try to get another guy right. to, to pair with Gray? But for right now, you have Michaelis, solid. Now, Michaelis is a solid two, three, or four starter. I think Gibson is a solid three or four starter. I think Lynn is someone that, yeah, he gave up a ton of home runs last year and just didn't look like himself when he used to be a one, two, or a three. I think that the Cardinals think that they've identified something that they can get him back to that, and I think that he feels that also. I do think that Bush Stadium as a pitcher's park should help reduce those home runs. Mm -hmm. And then you have Steven Matz, who, when he's healthy, is really good. So it's a veteran rotation, and you have to be able to lean on pitchers to be there every day that's the starting pitcher's job give you a chance to win you don't have to go there out there and dominate every time give me six seven innings and then turn it over to the bullpen give us a chance and that's what the starters have to do last year you're relying on immediately jake woodford matthew libertor dakota hudson i mean you're you're just hoping that you can patch it together the cardinals can't do that anymore. And so I think the rotation is a good fit for what they needed. And and I will give them credit also. They went out and they did it immediately. You know, they didn't waste any time. By the time Thanksgiving was here, they had who they needed. And that was because they didn't want to get caught in a situation like right now. There's still pitchers out there. I mean, can you imagine we start the winter warm-up and the Cardinals don't have the rotation yet? So. Mm-hmm. At least they got that done. Now, something else, too, is the first year in a long time without Adam Wainwright or Yadier Molina. Now, Yadier Molina is still around, joined as a special assistant to John Mosellock, the GM. Uh, But it's the first year without those guys in quite a long time. And I think it's just naturally different in a clubhouse when you don't have those guys you can rally around. Like, who who are the guys that, that, that... Guy or guys that this this team will lean into? Is it as simple as Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, those 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 guys, Miles Michaelis, who's been around for a while, or is, is there another answer? I think you just named three of them right there. I'm going to give you another one. And he's the only guy on this team, unless I'm missing somebody, 
who has won a world championship, and that's Contreras. Yep. I, I think that they have to hand the keys to Contreras and let him be the leader and let him be a middle-of-the-lineup bat, let him be the catcher. Yadier Molina is a phone call away, or in some cases he'll be standing right there, and you allow him to bring his personality out and be a leader. I love how Contreras handled that situation last year when they pulled him back for a little bit. He handled it with class. He didn't pout. He didn't complain. And by the way, the guy still has a bat. I mean, he's good. So he, he delivered there. I think he's one of them also. And then, you know, I'm excited to see some of the younger players take a step forward. I think Newt Barr has some leadership capabilities. He learned that from Arenado. And I do look forward to the future of Jordan Walker. He is yep. so wise for his age. He's such a good player. He's such a good student of the game. And I think that's really exciting also. Now, talking about those guys at the top of the roster, Arenado, Goldschmidt, Contreras, um, how likely is it that you think Jordan Walker will join them this year? I think he's going to be one of the better players on this team. I mm-hmm. think that Walker is going to end up elevating himself into a prominent role in this team. It's a lot to ask now. Year two, you know, they've seen you one time through, and these are the best pitching coaches in the world. I mean, they're going to find his cold spots, but he is a talented guy. He, you know, the, the biggest skill that you can learn on this team, I think, um, is what Goldschmidt and Arenado do, and that is that they find a way to play every single day. They, It is a skill, actually, to get yourself – on the field, 145, 155, or more and more times a year. Uh, that is not easy. Sometimes it takes a little luck, yes. But for the most part, those players put in the work that they are ready to go every day. And I think that Jordan Walker has that makeup. And, and if he does, if he's playing all the time, and if he's a winning player, if he cares more about what it says on the front of the jersey than the back, uh, which I think he does, I think the Cardinals are going to be in really good shape. Now, I know that, uh, you know, my listeners that are not Cardinals fans, and I know there's a lot of Cardinals fans, we sort of have a melting pot, there's Braves, there's a bunch of different uh, franchises that are followed here in Memphis, but I think mostly the Cardinals with the Redbirds connection and everything else. Um, Best fans in baseball, right? People will probably throw up or gag if they're not a Cardinals fan and they hear me say that. Um, but what's the fan base feeling right now? Like, truthfully, uh, clearly frustration from last year, but it still feels hopeful considering their surroundings of the NL Central. The backdrop of the NL Central, relatively easy division. You have a remade starting rotation, which was a, a point of emphasis. I think that a lot of people are of the opinion that the big three of Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Wilson Contreras will uh, have better years. None of them batted over 270. All had less than 30 home runs last year. Yeah, I know that there's frustration, but how much hope is there for this season? Well, there is a lot of frustration. And, you know, the Cardinals fans are smart. I mean, they know the game. They love the game, first and foremost. I mean, they could sit there and rattle off stats all day long. They could go through the analytics. They love talking about the numbers. They love to compare. They love to look at the prospects. They do their research. They're smart fans. But they're also very passionate fans. And some people on the outside may look at Cardinals and fans and say, listen to them. I mean, listen to them complaining all the time, complaining about missing the playoffs, complaining about having one losing season. They're so spoiled. No, actually, it's the other way around. You know, they show the passion. It makes them very good fans. They try 
to raise the standard every year. They let their ownership know that finishing anywhere other than in an opportunity to win a World Series is not up to par. It's not the standard. And the Cardinals actually feed into that themselves. The Cardinals talk all the time about their history, about winning the World Series. They have all the World Championship flags waving out in right field. When you pull into Ballpark Village, what's the first thing that you see in the parking lot? It's a giant 30-foot-tall World Series trophy. I mean, they like they make no uh, mistake about it that they are about winning and winning often, and they've done it. So there is a standard, and they've fed into it, and the Cardinals fans eat it up, but they also get upset when things aren't going their way. And right now, this has not been a lot of fun. I mean, they're going to come to the games. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to enjoy themselves, but they want winning. And I think that the, the team – when they play loose and have fun, they are a really good team. They're a championship team when they have a little edge to them. You know, if you look back at some of the great Cardinals teams, some of those Tony Larusa led teams, they had an edge and they played with an edge. And I think deep inside, when they go around the caravan this weekend and when they go to the warm up, they're going to smile, they're going to shake hands, they're going to talk about, you know, we're just going to go back to work, business like, and all that stuff. But I think deep inside there will be a a burn and maybe a little bit of embarrassment that we can't ever let this happen again. Mm. And that's that goes from Ali Marmel throughout that staff and to the players. That'll be the message in spring training. We are here to win. Period. End of story. And I think that's really what the fans want out of them. And I think that's what the players are going to try to accomplish here. Now, last couple of things for Tom Ackerman. He'll be in town over the weekend for the Cardinals Caravan, three separate events that you can make it to, first one being tomorrow in AutoZone Park. Um, <laughs> this offseason, this Major League Baseball offseason, is definitely um, the, the, the front-facing stories are all out of L.A., and it has to do with the Dodgers. $700 million to Shohei Otani, 680 of that being deferred, which is nuts to me. Yoshinibu uh, Yamamoto, $325 million. They just got Teoscar Hernandez. Um, I mean, they have absolutely just spent every bit of cash they have. How do you feel about what they've done. And I think a lot of people have a problem with the deferred money and sort of the luxury tax evasion part of it. But how do you feel about the Dodgers and what they've done this offseason? Well, they are a superpower. And, you know, they've got a lot of money and they do all that they can to uh, build that roster. It's really nothing new, honestly. I mean, I I know that they've added uh, Yamamoto and obviously Otani, but... You know, they've always tried to stack their roster and their starting lineup to be like an all-star team. But what have they won? You know, well, they won the World Series during the pandemic-shortened year, but, you know, they've been bounced here. And I I think that we would be making a mistake if we just handed them the World Series trophy here because of what they did in the offseason. You know, we learned that from, I mean, heck, the Yankees have been trying to do it for years, and they haven't even been to the World Series since '09. We already talked about the Mets and the Padres out of the National League, and I know there are other teams, too, that tried to spend and didn't come through. Um, it, it's, it can be deflating for the rest of the National League, but you know the Braves are still really good. I think the Phillies may have something to say about it. 
And I think if you're a Cardinals fan, you have to understand that this is not New York, L.A. You know, they don't have that kind of revenue stream and TV deal where they can just pile player after player after player, but they can field a really good team, and they do have a division that is winnable. I think that if you look around the division and you see the Cubs and the Brewers and the Reds, Reds are kind of intriguing to me, actually, but the the Cubs and the Brewers haven't exactly added a ton of horses here to compete with the Cardinals. And you have to be able to concentrate on that and say the important thing here is that you go out on March 28th, you play at Dodger Stadium, it's going to be a circus, but you put your head down and you just play ball, man. You just get out there and play game one as best you can, and then you roll with the second game. You just can't get caught up in all of that as as tempting as it is. But, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers accomplished it within the rules, you know, and it was Otani's idea. So I think for me, like, let's say Otani decided to go somewhere else, he probably could have done that anywhere. You know, it was his call. So it's just the way that it is right now in baseball. Uh, Can they fix it? You know, it's up to the next collective bargaining agreement. They have a deal in place. So let's see where this goes from here. But I think that, you know, we've seen some teams, I mean, just in this last World Series, the Diamondbacks are waving right now saying, hello, I mean, we played some good ball. We made it to the World Series. We weren't a superpower. So it can be done without question. Now, last thing and maybe a little beef here. I'll be the first to say congrats to Mizzou. You guys talk a lot of Mizzou at KMOX and in the city of St. Louis. I get all that. Congrats to Mizzou football, 11-2, and win against Ohio State in the bowl game. Um, but this is where the beef comes in. Holler at me about why Mizzou couldn't play my Memphis Tigers in Memphis. What was that all about? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I think that they wanted to have that game in St. Louis. Um, I'm glad that Memphis agreed to play in St. Louis. I went to the game. And right. As it turns out, Memphis turned out to be pretty darn good. Yep. Um, I watched them in their bowl game. I, I took my daughter to the game against Memphis at the Dome. Um, it was uh, St. Louis and Missouri have to come together. I mean, Mizzou has to be able to have a presence in St. Louis somehow, some way. So they're able to work out the deal to get a home game at the Dome, and hopefully they have many more to come. But, yeah, that had to be done. It had to be done. I, I'm excited about Missouri. I think it's a program absolutely on the rise, if not already there. They just have to take that next step, which is to be able to get into this 12-team playoff. Yep. Now. You know, as it stood last year, they would have been there. And now they have to wait a year, but they're bringing back a ton of talent. It's going to be fun. But I, I'll give credit to Memphis for allowing that to happen, <laughs> without yeah. a doubt. And by the way, they're really good. It was a heck of a game. Yeah, it was yeah. actually that was the game where I, I I thought was the breakout for Cody Schrader. You know, he oh, had the yeah. fumble early. He's kicking himself. He told me he went to the sideline and said, "I've just got to come through here. I mean, I can't let anybody down." And he started running with a purpose. It was impressive. That was a really good day. No, I'll tell you, there's a lot of Memphis fans peeved about it still, and they'll be peeved for years to come. But we'll. Well, I think I think we'll let bygones be bygones at some point here in the near future. Well, but we'll see. Can, I can assure you, it was out of out of my hands. Yeah, I and I you. love I love the University of Missouri. My alma mater is Indiana, and I've got other things to worry about with with that program. <laughs> Although they have a new coach in yeah. Kurt Signetti, he's he's good. 
I did. I did get a kick out of his uh, opening presser where they say, uh, "So, so, what do you bring? What do you bring to the table?" He goes, "I win." Look at my track record. I love yeah, that goes, type I of win. arrogance. He said, "I win." Google me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.